Does man have the right to take his own life? What about those who are suffering because of a terrible physical illness and they just want to end the pain? Will I still be able to go to heaven if I commit suicide? The key question is, what does the Bible have to say about this important subject? We will consider this up ahead on today's Bible Question podcast. Welcome to the Bible Questions podcast brought to you by BibleQuestions.org and the Holly Street Church of Christ. This podcast is dedicated to answering your Bible questions from the Bible. My name is Jeff, and along with Brian, we are the hosts of this program. Welcome to the Bible Questions podcast. We're very happy that you've been able to join us this morning. And Jeff, I think you would agree that uh, we're really happy that we have listeners that continue to be engaged week after week, uh, showing an interest in what the Bible teaches us on a variety of subjects. Absolutely. Yeah, it is very encouraging. In fact, I think you're through our uh, podcast uh, host, you're able to see the fact that not only are people continuing to do that, but they're continuing to do it from all over the world, which is very, uh, very encouraging to us. Yeah, it certainly is. And, you know, this morning we're going to be talking about another subject that certainly applies worldwide, and that's on suicide and euthanasia. And for those of you that may not be familiar with what euthanasia is, we're going to get into more detail on that. But, uh, Jeff, this is one of these subjects that, once again, is kind of universal, but is also one that that is just gut-wrenching, can be very difficult to deal with, especially if it happens in our own lives. Well, absolutely. And, you know, in one way or another, it does touch a lot of people. In fact, you know, even within our circle of, of family and friends, my sister-in-law uh, lost her son to suicide. In fact, you may remember we even had a member of our congregation commit suicide. So this is indeed a very, as you said, a, a heart-wrenching kind of thing, you know, not only for you know, those who commit it, but the survivors uh, that have to deal with the situation afterwards. You know, at least according to some statistics I have here, more than 700,000 people die by suicide every year uh, globally. You know, here in the United States, from, yeah, roughly 1999 to uh, 2018, which was the last time we had uh, data, it was one of the top 10 reasons for death and had increased over that time period by uh, an astonishing uh, 35%. Um, there's a number of other statistics here, uh, at least in terms of, uh, you know, gender-related um, among females. Uh, the age seems to be the highest, uh, 45 to 64-year-olds. Uh, among males, seems to be the highest, those 75 and older, which is kind of surprising, almost 40 per 100,000. Uh, looks like a lot, uh, at least last year that they had data, 2020, saw almost 45,000 Americans, you know, kill themselves. Um, interestingly that, you know, among the young, you would think would have the most, you know, positive uh, you know, outlook on life, uh, ages uh, 15 to 29, suicide was the fourth leading cause of death after road injury, tuberculosis, and interpersonal violence. So, yeah, the numbers are, are, are way up there. You know, countless lives every year being, you know, lost to suicide and untold, you know, multiply of that, uh, multiplicative of that, as I said, of the, of the survivors that have to deal with the results and the trauma and the anguish and the heartache, uh, et cetera. So it's, it's definitely a, uh, a relevant uh, topic that we should address. Yeah. And you know, one of those, one of the, I guess, most common questions that all of us ask when this might happen to somebody, as you mentioned, a family member close to us, that sort of thing is why, you know, why did they do this? Why do people take their lives? And, well, there, there are many reasons, and we'll just kind of cover a few of them here. You know, depression, that, that may be one that's sort of obvious to our listeners. People um, not only become depressed, they might be bipolar, or they might have had just, you know, a lot of difficulties in their life that have spanned a long period of time, and they eventually give up, if you will. Uh, sometimes it's mental, uh, as in like things like psychosis. And for those of you that may not be familiar with that term, it means a severe mental disorder in which thought and emotions are so impaired that contact is lost with external reality. So 
you know, no doubt there are a variety of mental issues. Uh, and certainly, I guess you could say at a high level that, you know, anybody that would take their own life has having is experiencing some mental issue, if you will. Uh, things like substance abuse, you know, whether it's alcohol or drugs, I think we would all realize that that affects how you think. You, you do not think clearly. And so those that, that are going through a lot of substance abuse can certainly eventually commit suicide. Uh, things like post-traumatic stress syndrome. So somebody that is fighting uh, maybe the Middle East or somewhere, you know, where there's a war going on, they've lost, you know, fellow soldiers, they've dealt with explosions right by themselves, maybe they came close to death. Uh, sometimes when they come back from wars, uh, there is this post-traumatic stress syndrome that can make it difficult for them to kind of you know, get back into what they might call normal life. And as a result, they take their life. So we have other reasons like, you know, maybe breakup of a, you know, or loss of a family member, somebody close to them's died, a spouse, a family member, uh, even worse, maybe they have a child that died or a very close friend, uh, things like financial distress, you, you know, for those of you that uh, remember the stock market crash, there's been a few in the United States. Inevitably, if somebody loses you know, 99% of their personal wealth, it can lead to things like suicide. And then, you know, other things like legal trouble, being convicted of a crime. And then sometimes, Jeff, I guess this is kind of a segue into euthanasia. It could be something like, you know, a serious medical condition or maybe being diagnosed with a terminal illness where somebody just says, I don't want to deal with this anymore. And it could also lead to suicide. Right. And, you know, you mentioned at the top of the podcast, uh, euthanasia. So, you know, if, if you view, you know, suicide as self-inflicted, euthanasia, you know, tr uh, takes sort of the next step and having others inflict uh, death. Uh, and, you know, certainly this has been uh, an issue that's, as we'll see, has been around for, you know, literally thousands of years. But we see it coming to the forefront most recently with uh, states starting to allow what is sometimes called physician-assisted suicide. Uh, actual word euthanasia, interestingly enough, comes from a Greek word, which means good death. You know, the practice of intentionally ending someone's life to normally relieve pain and suffering. And not surprising, it comes from the Greek because it was a common practice uh, in ancient Greece. Uh, in fact, uh, our listeners may or may not have heard about a person his name is Socrates, you know, 400 BC, uh, ended his life by drinking uh, a poison called hemlock, you know, derived from a, a plant. Uh, it's interesting that, you know, even in that era, Socrates, you know, thousands of years ago, uh, there were others that opposed it. Uh, in fact, there was a person by the name of Hippocrates uh, who spoke against that practice, uh, writing, quote, I will not prescribe a deadly drug to please someone, nor give advice that may cause his death. Now, our listeners may recognize that name, Hippocrates, as part of the Hippocratic Oath, which even modern-day physicians will you know, often take. That typically includes references to, like, you know, first, do no harm. And, of course, that kind of a concept runs very, very deeply contrary to what is today often called physician-assisted suicide. You know, Brian, if we, if we, if we kind of dig into uh, this concept of euthanasia a little bit more, as it turns out, there are a couple different categories. Uh, there's something called voluntary euthanasia, where, you know, a person, you know, uh, undergoing, again, you know, severe pain, trauma, terminal illness, uh, can, you know, volunteer for having someone basically put them to death. That seems to be growing. And again, it comes under, like we said, physician-assisted suicide. Uh, although in some cases, there is what is sometimes called non-voluntary euthanasia, where the person's consent may not be available. And in some countries, you know, that's legal. Um, uh, sometimes we may uh, hear the term pulling the plug, which we'll get into a little bit later on. And kind of fall under that, where the person, you know, basically is comatose, etc. The third category, which is probably the most gruesome, is involuntary euthanasia. Now, that's without asking consent, 
and it's typically also against the person's will. We often call that murder, right? Uh, in fact, in my research, I found uh, going back to the uh, Nazi regime in, in Germany that Adolf Hitler enacted something called Action T4 in October of 1939 to kill, quote unquote, incurably ill, physically or mentally disabled, emotionally distraught and elderly people. Basically, this program was designed to, to kill those who were deemed, quote unquote, inferior and threatening to the well-being of the Aryan race. Uh, interestingly enough, later on, it was expanded to include those that were of a certain ethnicity, as well as a certain class. Of course, ultimately, you see that in the you know, Nazi death camps with the extermination of the Jews and a number of other groups. So, you know, quote unquote, involuntary euthanasia, basically a fancy term for murder. Uh, this is, you know, certainly, at least here within the United States, within the last, you know, decade or two, uh, it has certainly become a very controversial topic in what is sometimes called bioethics or medical ethics. A lot of, uh, you know, public controversy over it. Uh, now, there's also kind of a, another way, perhaps, of distinguishing euthanasia between passive and active. And the reason why I want to distinguish that, sometimes people will refer to like, you know, passive euthanasia, sometimes as pulling the plug, meaning again, the person is comatose, being supported by machines, and basically they, you know, we quote unquote, pull the plug, stop the machines, and the person dies. Uh, as opposed to an active form of euthanasia, where, you know, the person, you know, basically steps in, and administers a, for instance, a drug that kills the person. And, you know, all different kinds of nuances. You know, I, I think one of the things, Brian, we need to you know, kind of mention is there's like gradations. Uh, and there is even yet another gradation beyond, you know, pulling the plug and letting the person, you know, let, letting the dying process uh, complete. Uh, and that's sometimes called hospice care and some people you know get into uh you know that again based on terminal ill etc uh, and hospice care which is something i had to deal with uh, both of my parents where you know the person basically is you know terminally ill you are no longer trying to fix the problem because the problem can't be fixed and so you switch to something called comfort care where you're trying to attend to their emotional needs physical needs spiritual needs trying to you know uh, at least maintain some degree of the you know quality of life, reducing pain and suffering. Uh, and sometimes, you know, while those treatments under hospice, you know, they're not designed to hasten death. But if you're administering, you know, strong doses of certain pain medications to alleviate their pain, like morphine, you know, there may be a, you know, while you're alleviating their pain, there may be a side effect of, you know, shortening their life. But that's not the intent. Uh, and as I said, that can be a very personal kind of thing, too, uh, to include my dad, uh, who was basically dying of, of terminal lung cancer. And uh, I, I think your your father might have been under hospice care for a while. Yeah, that's you exactly know. right. Yeah. Right. Not, and, you know, we're not talking suicide you know, where someone, quote unquote, you know, blows their brains out with a gun. We're not talking about, you know, intentionally killing someone else by you know, injecting them with a lethal drug. We're now talking about almost like allowing someone to go through the natural dying process. So there's a whole spectrum here uh, that, uh, you know, we, we kind of need to, to consider with some of these various, you know, nuances. Yeah, and I, I especially appreciate your, you know, you kind of emphasizing this point because it isn't always easy, especially for the family. Like in my father's case, it reached a point where he, because he was in so much pain, he was very medicated. So he wasn't able to think clearly. And even though he had already expressed to my mother what his wishes were, you know, as it relates to quote unquote, keeping him alive sort of thing. Uh, she still faced some difficult decisions when it came near the end. And, you know, there's always this balancing act between, you know, do you want to do everything you can to keep him alive? Or are you sort of unfairly keeping him alive for your own reasons when if you would just let the natural death process take place you know so once again as you said there's a lot of little nuances here and it's not always cut and dry so to speak you know right uh now certainly there are some things that, that i think you're going to get into next where 
you know, clearly it is, uh, and, and, you know, setting aside the legality, certainly from a biblical perspective would be uh, sinful. And there's other cases where, as you said, we're, you know, allowing death to, you know, naturally progress and to, you know, stand in the way of that prior process um, in some ways does more suffering uh, to the, uh, to the patient. So, yeah, it, it, it's really, in some cases, kind of a, um, certainly a hard situation emotional but at the same time we also try to approach need to approach it from a biblical perspective and try and do you know keep that in mind you know first and foremost yeah i completely agree and you know i had one other thought and that was as as our societies change and speaking of the united states right now where you and i live you know over the last five years alone we've seen huge shifts in how people think like I can recall it had to be less than 10 years ago where many would never have accepted physician-assisted suicide. You might remember Dr. Kevorkian, you know, going back right. even farther and how people were horrified that somebody could even consider, uh, you know, physician-assisted suicide. But as we've seen changes in our society where people are more accepting of sin, certainly going back to the 70s, accepting of things like abortion, um, you know, I don't think it's a stretch to see how, you know, at some point in the future, non-voluntary euthanasia, like you were talking about with the Nazi regime, may also become more accepted. You know, when you do not value life, and, and we see that once again with things like abortion, then it's not too far of a stretch to think, well, why don't we just extinguish someone that's no longer, you know, quote-unquote productive or useful to society? Maybe you know, to age, because of age or, like you were saying earlier, mental conditions. It's kind of almost a logical step down that path, isn't it, to cleansing society of those that are a burden. And, oh, we're doing them a favor as well. It's just, like, kind of scary, but I don't think uh, it may be that far in the future where people start thinking that way. Right. Well, and, you know, as you said, we've seen it happen in the past, and it certainly seems like a logical progression because, you know, if I can kill an unborn baby because of, you know, my desire for convenience and, you know, they would be a burden on society, et cetera, or a burden on me at least, you know, you can easily extend that logic over to the aged. Um, and certainly you can extend that logic, you know, one more step to, the, you know, those that are, you know, mentally ill or, you know, just a burden on society. Yeah, let's, let's just go ahead and, you know, get rid of them. Um, so, yeah, a, a somewhat uh, a dangerous um, trend, if you will. And as you said, it indicates people kind of drifting away from biblical, you know, Judeo-Christian values, more toward, you know, humanism and, the, you know, the welfare of the state, so to speak. Absolutely. Yeah, so why don't we transition now to talk about kind of the central question that, that we often get to the website and that people just kind of logically ask, right? And that is, is suicide, right, whether it's self-inflicted, or physician-assisted, a sin? And that's the right question to ask. And so, you know, a couple of basic principles that we see in God's Word. One is that, you know, the Bible teaches us that our bodies are the temple of God and that we are not to defile or harm it. So, for instance, if you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 19, it says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? Verse 20 says, for you were bought at a price. The price they're talking about or, or Paul's talking about here is, of course, Jesus dying on the cross. So we were bought with his blood, if you will. And so he says, therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now, if you think about that, makes sense, right? God created us. We're told in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27, in his image. And so, in essence, we belong to God, and we are not our own in that sense. We also see over in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, it says, Do you not know that you are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. So I think we could all agree that when somebody commits suicide, they are no doubt harming their own body right to the point of death. And so those passages are, are very clear. We also know that the Bible condemns murder. And, you know, of course, suicide is 
by definition, self-murder. And so in Galatians chapter 5, uh, if you read that section there, we are told that those who murder will not inherit the kingdom of God, which is, of course, a reference to heaven. So the Bible makes it clear that those who commit suicide will not be able to have eternal life. So I think we're seeing, yes, it's a sin, right? That's the the uh, the answer to that question. Now, some may ask, and Jeff, I know probably received questions I know I have about, well, can they be forgiven? Is there any way to forgive them? And I mean, unfortunately, once they die, they cannot be forgiven because to be forgiven requires repentance and confession of sin on their part. And we see that in passages like Acts chapter 3 and verse 19 and also 1 John 1, 9 that, you know, says if we confess our sins. And so, you know, sometimes you get false doctrine, like from the Mormons who teach that you can be baptized for the dead. And you have things like, you know, the Catholics who believe that if it's a, a minor sin, you might suffer for a while. Uh, but these things are not taught in the scriptures. In fact, we see from the example of the rich man and Lazarus in Luke chapter 16, uh, verses 19 through 31, that once we die, our destiny's fixed, and it cannot be changed. So uh, as difficult as it, as it is to understand that once you die, your sins can't be forgiven, it's just something that really we should think about, right? And certainly anybody that might be considering taking their own life uh, should think about. So Jeff, right. I'll turn it over to you for your thoughts. Yeah, the only thing I might add to what you're saying, which I agree with, um, is that if a person is in somewhat, as you said earlier on, somewhat of a mental state that basically shows that they are not thinking, you know, not not able to discern between, you know, good and evil, between right and wrong, you know, you know uh, basically under some perhaps, uh, you know, drug hallucination kind of episode or some kind of, uh, you know, extreme trauma, et cetera. Uh, and, you know, and they take their own life. They don't even realize what they're doing. You know, there, there may be some allowance for um, the fact that they're not, uh, you know, uh, you know, held morally responsible. You know, we talk about the age of accountability with, you know, children who grow up that are, you know, not accountable until they can discern between good and evil. You know, there may be some of those, you know, situations, you know, as uh, exceptions that a person, you know, may go through that action and not be held accountable. Although I would have to caution at the same time, you know, what kind of things led to that mental state? What kind of decisions did they make, you know, leading up to it? And so there may still be some degree of accountability. So there's, you know, that aspect uh, as well. Any thoughts on that before guess... we move? Oh, I was just said, I think, yeah, I guess that's when we say, you know, really it's in God's hands, right? Because to your point, exactly. it's not always black and white. You know, there are some, some, uh, you know, nuances or whatever you might say there that, yeah, we have to just put it in God's hands. So anyhow. Exactly. Exactly. But in general, as, as you said, the scripture would say for us to just decide rationally to take our own lives. Uh, as you said, that's a sin. And generally speaking, considering the rapidity at which with that suicide, you know, occurs, you know, within a, a split second, you know, you can't generally speaking, you know, as you said, repent and confess the sin. Although even with that, there may be some cases where you're in the process of committing suicide and you suddenly realize the horrible mistake that you're making, but you can't undo it because of the mechanism that you're, you've chosen to use, like hanging, for instance. Uh, that there may be a last minute, you know, kind of a, a reversal of attitude. But again, I, I think you make make a good point. It's all said and done. You know, the Bible say this is not something you should do. And in, you know, extreme cases, as you said, God will be the the ultimate judge. And you know, we're we're talking about, and we often do in our podcast about what does God, what does the Bible say, what does God require, and so forth. And no doubt, the Bible has plenty of commands that we are to follow, but the Bible also offers a lot of help, doesn't it, Jeff, where God offers us solutions to these problems. And in this, in this case, it's no different, is it? Exactly. In fact, I've got a, a fairly lengthy list of here, you know, with associated scriptures. So, yeah, let's go into that part of our podcast. You know, one of the first things I think of that the Bible gives us is a sense of perspective. You know, when you started the podcast earlier, 
and you said, you know, some people just get so distraught over, you know, the loss of a pet or the loss of financial, um, you know, investments or, you know, some other kinds of things related to this life. Uh, or they get distraught over, you know, the um, you know death of a loved one or being, you know, rejected, you know, by a boyfriend or a girlfriend. They just can't live on whatever. The Bible offers perspective. So under that, I got a couple of verses here, uh, starting with Matthew chapter 6, uh, beginning with verse 25. Uh, Jesus says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. For they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying could add one cubit to his stature? But seek first, the, and continuing on roughly verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So we get some people that may you know, be very anxious, worrisome about what's right in front of them. But the Bible says, hey, there's more to this life than this life. You know, there is a Heavenly Father that is you know, interested in us, concerned about us, uh, etc. So there's the matter of perspective. Uh, second verse I've got under this topic. Uh, Brian, if you want to go over to Hebrews chapter 11 and maybe read verses, oh, how about 13 through 16 uh, on this subject okay. of perspective? Yeah, here it says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Okay. And, and once again, for the, the people that were, you know, the faithful list in Hebrews chapter 11, you know, various ones of them could have gotten you know, sad, anxious, depressed, you know, whatever the case may be, and said, you know, I, I can't go on, there's nothing better, and end, end their lives as a result. But through these and other verses, you know, we understand that this life is not all there is. And in fact, this life, you know, in, in view of eternity, is a relatively short, almost minuscule amount of time that there is an afterlife, that there is, um, you know, consequences, if you will, that go beyond just this life. There, you know, there's an eternity ahead, for instance. So the first thing the Bible gives us, uh, hopefully, is a sense of perspective, that whatever we might be suffering, it's, and, and admittedly, severe, no argument there, it is still a temporary kind of thing. And there's, you know, much more potentially available afterwards. Uh, there's another section or another group of verses that talk about that, that even though we undergo these kinds of trials, adversity, suffering, etc., uh, even going through the process has value. And I know for someone going through those kinds of things, that sounds like crazy talk. But it's what the Bible says. Uh, James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4 is an example. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. So let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And, you know, Brian, that's one of those verses that I, that I read and I go, boy, that's hard. <laughs> you know, count it all joy when you're undergoing trials. Yeah, it's like uh, counterintuitive, isn't it? It's like, wait, it, what? <laughs> yeah, it's definitely counterintuitive. Uh, and you know, for those people in in the middle of that, it, it's crazy talk. And yet, there is some value. There, there's some good that can come from it. Uh, Romans chapter five, verses three and four. A similar thought. 
but we glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulations produce perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. So, you know, there's a, if you want to say a silver lining, you know, there can be good that comes out of working our way through these bad times uh, and, and emerging the other side stronger. In fact, I'm kind of remi- reminded of, you know, it's, it's a common cliche that we have, have today, a secular cliche. You know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And this kind of you know, potentially falls uh, under that. Uh, Brian, any comments be- so far before I move on to the next uh, uh, thing from the Bible that helps us? You know, I was just thinking of one passage as you were going through this, uh, and that's Matthew 16, 26, where, you know, Jesus said, For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? And so, you know, regardless of the difficulty, and no doubt there are difficulties, uh, we, we just have to keep, as you said, the perspective of nothing is more valuable than our soul. And even if we lose it all or lose those that are closest to us, let's not put our soul in jeopardy. So anyhow, I always like that passage. Not a good point. So moving forward to the next thing that the Bible can offer as help uh, is a sense of comfort and a sense of hope. And in fact, I think that that might be at the core of a lot of people either, you know, killing themselves or... Uh, requesting, you know, physician-assisted, you know, suicide, uh, is this loss of hope, uh, hopelessness, that they just can't see past, you know, the pain or the suffering or the loss uh, to sustain any sense of hope beyond that. And as a quick side comment, what really surprises me is you have uh, relatively young kids these days, you know, 15 13, 12, 10, 9 that are, you know, killing themselves because, you know, they, 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 they don't see a future. They don't, they don't see any hope. They don't see any, you know, as you said, reason to, to carry on. And that just, you know, boggles my mind. They've got, their, they've got their whole life ahead of them. And yet for some reason, they've got this big block right in front of their, their face that they can't, can't see around or can't see past. Uh, Romans chapter 15, uh, first verse in this uh, section. Uh, verse 4 and 5, for whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another, according to Christ Jesus. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, for our quote-unquote light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Colossians chapter 1, verse 23. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Uh, you know, certainly the Bible offers, you know, not only perspective, uh, and not only, you know, some hints that there is value in going through these various trials uh, and, and overcoming them, but also uh, the long range, the long vision, the long view, if you will, of hope uh, uh, and encouragement. Uh, in fact, I'm, I'm really reminded of uh, Psalms 23, which I, it's interesting. That psalm, I think, often is quoted at uh, funerals, you know, to give the survivors some sense of hope, some sense of comfort, uh, which I'll, I'll, I'll read here for our, for our audience's benefit. The Lord is my shepherd, shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now, here comes the key part. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod, your staff, they comfort me. So one of the things that the Bible offers, hope, comfort, again, and, and a sense of uh, perspective. One other quick uh, uh, section I'll mention, uh, the Bible also offers the value of prayer. 
First Peter chapter five, verses uh, six and seven. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. And likewise, a similar passage in Philippians chapter four, verses six and seven. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So prayer, communion with God, as well as encouragement from fellow Christians, you know, Romans 12, 15, uh, weep with those who weep, uh, etc. So a number of different things, Brian, from the scriptures uh, that can, you know, help us in quote unquote dark times you know, to get through these kinds of situations. Back over to you. Yeah, very good passages. Appreciate you you sharing that. And, you know, this, I had one other thought, and that is kind of centered around perspective again. And sometimes people will say, well, you know, the Bible does also teach us to show love. And so is it not love to help somebody in the misery that they're going through? And I kind of liken this, Jeff, to people getting it backwards or kind of having a warped sense of what love is. In fact, we're warned in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20, right? Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. And so from, from, an, you know, from this idea of perspective, uh, it's just important for us all to realize that there's clear teaching in the Bible that God values life. And he limits mankind's ability to end a life. And so, for instance, in Genesis chapter 9 and verse 6, it says, Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed, for in the image of God he made man. And then when we look at Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 17, we see that hands that shed innocent blood is considered one of the six things that God hates or considers an abomination. And so while... We might think that we're doing them a favor, that we're really showing them love by helping them, encouraging them uh, to take their own life. Uh, really, we don't have that right, and and we're we're using or kind of thinking of love in a, in a warped way. You know, earlier we looked at First Corinthians chapter three, verse sixteen and seventeen, where it talks about you know, do you not know that you're the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Verse seventeen says, if anyone anyone defiles a temple. So that could be me defiling my own temple, right, by committing suicide, or I might defile somebody else's temple, their body, um, by helping them to commit suicide. And it's clear, it says, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. So just wanted to add that back in, Jeff, as well, because it's just so important to understand. We have limitations, and it is, in fact, not love to allow or help somebody to commit suicide there. Right. Well, and it's interesting that, as you said, you know, uh, showing love by ending the misery. Now, as we said earlier in the podcast, you know, hospice care, you know, administering pain relieving drugs, you know, reducing the ministry, you know, addressing comfort care, you know, is indeed a, a loving, compassionate, you know, kind of response. But, you know, to step beyond that, and to say, hey, you know, you're suffering, I'm going to kill you. I mean, actively kill you. You know, that's beyond, uh, quote unquote, love. Uh, and in fact, as we said earlier on, like with Adolf Hitler, you know, ending someone's misery. Well, you must be miserable because you're living with, you know, name it. You're living with cancer or you're living with Down syndrome or you're living with, you know, a, a, you know with one leg, no arms. Oh, well, you must be in misery, so we're going to end in your misery for you. You know, as we said earlier, slippery slope dang, with, with a lot of danger. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so Brian, I think at this point we would like to transition to offering to our listeners some uh, questions that we have received to our BibleQuestions.org website in the past, you know, on this topic and some of the... Uh, uh, the, the normal answers that we give. So the first one I think I have for you is from Jeanette. And she wrote in saying, I've looked at what you have to say about suicide. And quote unquote, I understand. Now my question is, if you allow death to come by not stopping it, like not taking your medicine, 
or letting your blood pressure stay out of control, is something like this considered suicide? I don't think the Bible says you have to go to a doctor or, or take medicines. Is that right? What would you say, Brian? Yeah, that's a very interesting question. And one that's kind of multifaceted in that, you know, just at a high level, all of us should be taking care of ourselves. We do have some responsibilities, once again, like we just read about taking care of our temple, if you will, temple of God. However, you know, would it be considered a sin? So, you know, when we think about this definition of suicide, you know, basic dictionary definition is, you know, a person who kills themselves intentionally. And so, you know, I think that intent uh, is really key to distinguishing the difference between someone trying to immediately take their own life versus increasing the chances they will die through negligence or refusing to take medication. Now, as we just said, right, the Lord does expect us to take care of ourselves, as we saw in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And so, you know, no doubt if we're negligent towards our bodies, then we can probably logically conclude that God's going to hold us accountable. Uh, and once again, it's not always cut and dry, right? Sometimes people have hormonal imbalances. It's not always them not taking care of themselves. But if there's true negligence, it's something we should think about. But to answer, you know, the second question, the, the Bible doesn't say we must take medication or that we must go to the doctor. And you know, because as we've talked about all along, our body is a temple of God, it would it seem reasonable to conclude uh, that we should, as we said, you know, do our best to take care of it. But sometimes medical issues can be resolved by diet and exercise instead of medication. Maybe somebody doesn't want to take medication. Maybe they don't trust it or they know somebody that took a certain type of medication and they had problems with it. So therefore, they're they're not comfortable with it. And then there's sometimes medications all that can resolve an issue, uh, but it still becomes an individual choice, right? So, you know, there's a great deal of individual judgment involved in many of these cases. Uh, and no doubt some of these medical issues can be very complex. So we just have to be careful when judging someone else regarding how well they are taking care of themselves or if, you know, they decide not to. You know, Jeff, one that comes to my mind is cancer, you know, and Today, uh, you know, for a lot of cancers, chemotherapy is one of the few options, although that's, you know, changing. You know, there's immunotherapies and, and many more advances here. But I don't see any scripture that would say that if somebody refuses to go through a certain type of treatment, that they would be sinning and, in essence, killing themselves. Uh, you know, if you go back to Bible times, if you will, they didn't have chemotherapy. They didn't have these advanced medicines. And, and once again, we have a right to make that decision. And if we say, you know what, I'll, I'll try some natural processes. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. I am ready to go to the Lord, those kinds of things. It's just thing, it's something that we should respect. Uh, and that's a good point because, uh, again, it can be a very uh, personal and uh, you know, emotionally wrenching decision. You know, if you've had you know, cancer and you've been through chemo before, and you know, here comes yet another round. Or if your health in general is declining, you know, if you're very elderly, you know, the, in some ways there, there kind of can come a point, and I would admit a point where you say, okay, are we, you know, merely prolonging life and prolonging suffering, uh, or does it make sense to go ahead and you know take the medication and you know with with a hope of actually being cured? And I know that's kind of a tough decision, but I know, you know, of some people that, you know, said, you know, I've been through this before. It's a horrendous kind of process. You know, I'm already in my 60s or 70s or 80s. And, you know, this is just another step in a, in a downward spiral. No, I'm just going to go ahead and, and, you know, live with the cancer, uh, as an example, um, and have, you know, some, you know, improved quality of life that, you know, has not been, you know, totally destroyed by chemotherapy or radiation therapy, et cetera. So I think bottom line, as you said, there, there's a lot of complex factors there. In fact, and, and extremes, of course, that, that we would want to avoid. I mean, for instance, you could easily see an extreme that says, well, you know, we must take care of our temple. So, you know, if a Christian is not in a daily exercise program or if a Christian is 10 pounds overweight, they're sinning. Uh, no, we need to avoid those <laughs> extremes uh, as well. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks uh, for sharing that. I agree. And I, you know, we, 
have a question that came to us from Andrea uh, that I'll ask you, and it says, when is it all right for a conservative Christian to pull the plug before one dies? Is it God's choice when a person's time uh, to go is? And then uh, when is it all right to take that power into your own hands? So I guess those are kind of three questions, right? Right. Well, and a very relevant, thought-provoking question, because, you know, with with our modern, advanced medical technology, you know, with, you know, respirators and various other, you know, devices, um, you know, we can pretty much, you know, keep the body alive for a prolonged period. Um, you know, what about those kinds of situations, for example? Um, now, certainly because we're talking advanced medical technology, the Bible doesn't specifically address it. But I think there's a number of different principles that, that we could use from the scriptures that would help provide us guidance. You know, as we've already said, there are a lot of scriptures that talk about, you know, murder, self-murder, suicide, taking care of our bodies, uh, the legitimate role of doctors in medicine, um, our need to honor and care for our family members, for instance, including our aged parents. Uh, and, you know, certainly health workers, you know, very routinely, you know, prolong life, prevent death with a variety of means, you know, even antibiotics, vaccines, you know, and we certainly don't accuse them of playing God. On the other hand, as we've already mentioned in the podcast, you know, we have to recognize that, you know, faithful Christians are just, quote unquote, you know, temporary travelers or pilgrims in this life, and that we shouldn't necessarily be, you know, really overly um, uh, connected, if you will, toward, you know, holding on to the very last moment of, you know, life in this world or, or the trying to hold on to the, you know, last breath uh, or, you know, holding on to a loved one, you know, when they're, you know, in the bed comatose, on life support, brain dead, you know, etc. So, you know, on the one hand, you know, as we've said so far, you know, killing ourselves just because, or killing someone else, quote unquote, just because, again, you know, we're talking suicide, or for instance, a physician assisted suicide, you know, that's wrong. Uh, as well as, you know, the other extreme of just, you know, keeping someone's body alive at any and all costs. So, so where, you know, what about everything in between? And that's where we have, again, some degree of uh, uncertainty and, and where we need to kind of, you know, try to exercise, you know, good judgment. Uh, now, there, admittedly, you have to be careful. As you've already alluded to, Brian, there is a tendency today toward less respect for life uh, and more emphasis on having a quote-unquote good quality of life uh, with these various ways like euthanasia, physician-assisted suicide, you know, being the, the easy out, so to speak. Uh, and of course, that's, we're also seeing uh, a certain degree of callousness toward uh, life, you know, in terms of abortion, infanticide. So anyway, Given those tendencies, we would want to try to be somewhat conservative, somewhat be careful, you know, not rush into, quote unquote, pulling the plug. But as we've noted, and I think uh, with, I think you said with, with your dad, with my dad, you know, sometimes we're not prolonging life, we're prolonging death uh, through, you know, highly artificially, highly invasive, painful, expensive, you know, means and in some ways, we may be actually playing God more by keeping the person's body alive than simply letting them go and allowing them to die. I mean, for instance, a person's in a coma, very little, if any, brain activity. You know, organs are starting to fail. You know, the machines are just, quote unquote, keeping an empty shell of a body alive. The person we knew, you know, really isn't there anymore uh and as we said before with hospice care I, I personally don't see any problem in, in giving increasing doses of a painkiller to a person to alleviate their pain 
you know, even though those higher doses could, in a secondary effect, shorten their life. Um, now, again, you know, here's some other nuances. Now, what about pulling the plug on a comatose patient that, you know, shows some signs of recovering? You know, uh, yeah, pulling the plug, quote unquote, prematurely. Uh, or disconnecting a respirator from a fully conscious person who happens to be, you know, paralyzed from the neck down because they don't have a good quality of life. You know, again, there's there's those kind of you know, gradations. Um, so even with quote unquote pulling the plug, again, have to look at you know the situation, what it is we're trying to do, why we're trying to do it. Are we trying to prolong the dying process, or unnecessarily cling to a loved one? And again, it's a very emotional kind of thing as well. So certainly our our, our hearts go out, you know, to people you know facing such trauma. Um, and while at the same time trying to offer some biblical ground rules or guidelines or guardrails, if you will, um, again, it's it's not it's not easy, Brian, is it? It isn't, and uh, you know, it's just, it is very difficult, as you pointed out. Both of us have gone through some of these difficult decisions, and certainly, you know, I hope our listeners realize that our our goal isn't to try and sway you one way or the other as it relates to some of these difficult decisions, but just help us all understand what does the Bible teach. And to make it very clear that suicide and physician-assisted suicide is clearly prohibited by the scriptures. And I think we would all agree, listeners, you know, everybody, that you know, to the extent we can help others see, as you pointed out, Jeff, in your section on the help that the Bible has to offer, God places a tremendous value on our soul. That's why it's called his temple, right? He has given us the very spirit that dwells within us. And so he also gives us a way out, if you will, or a way to have, the, as you pointed out, the proper perspective and understanding that eternal life, if we're faithful, will far outweigh any struggles or difficulties that we may go through in this life. So we should pursue every option to stay alive and to help others stay alive. Good point. Good summary, too. Now, for our listeners that want to perhaps explore this topic even further, uh, we do have several uh, topics at our website, biblequestions.org, under the topics menu item. Some directly related, some kind of indirectly. Uh, S for suicide, you know, M for murder, okay, directly related. L for life, uh, F for fear, H for hope. Uh, somewhat indirectly related, but perhaps addressing some, you know, situations in life where the going gets tough, so to speak. And then ultimately, you know, A for authority in terms of the uh, the scriptures uh, and relying on them to, you know, guide us in our everyday activities, especially when we get into these kinds of very highly, you know, emotional, traumatic kind of situations. Yeah, very good resources. Encourage everybody to take a look at those. And we appreciate you joining us for this podcast. We hope that you have found it to be helpful. And uh, as we always encourage, just take a look at all the passages that we offered. Really reflect on, on the principles that are in God's Word and do everything you can to apply them. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Bible Questions podcast. We invite you to visit our website at biblequestions.org, where you can find over a thousand scripture-filled articles on a wide variety of Bible topics, along with about two dozen free Bible study lessons and other Bible study aids. Plus, you can submit a Bible question to us to get a personal response within a couple of days. Check it all out at biblequestions.org.